And we're live. We should be numbering these podcasts, but we're not because we're... No, I mean, you're lazy. That should be on your to-do list. Um, okay. Um, yeah, I, for some reason, I love starting with administrivia. I can't, I can't help it. And usually because there are problems that have been nagging at me since the previous episode. Since the previous show and the things kind of bug me. Um, so, um, I want to stop, talk about my horrible experience with drinking wine. Well, that's going to be a terrible topic to open with, but um, I'm uh, sensitive to everything under the sun. And uh, wine is uh, one of those, I don't know, it's, it's the adult alcohol, kind of. It's the alcohol that the ladies like. Uh, and it's it's kind of around. It's got that sense of respect. I mean, maybe the equivalent might be um, an attempt by craft beer to be sensible. I think that rather fails. But wine's kind of had this uh, expensive appeal to it. And so I tried some, but it was I knew it would be terrible wine going in, and uh, it was it was it was terrible. It was just terrible. And it's one of these things where I. It, it would be fair to say that I wouldn't have good taste. That's, that's fine. That's fine. And there's a lot of stuff that you, you're not used to something or, you know, you haven't tried the best of it. You've just been kind of like mediocre. You've been right. trying the, the normal everyday folk version of something. Realizing this, I should probably have you try the ice wine. Whenever uh, I decide ice to wine. actually open it. I remember when ice wine was new. Um, usually it's cut with brandy. So you're not going to, because it's horrifyingly expensive. Well, um, the reason why, do you know why? Or... Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the ice part of ice wine is the fact that it's uh, it's picked when it's frosted or some something like that, right? They pick it when it's um, cold, well, when it's cold or fr you know, frosted over, and they only use up to 60% of the grape. Oh, really? Yeah. Because a bunch of it is just kind of terrible. I'm not. Well, um, that's just how it's made. I'm not the person who did it. But uh, I mean, that's that's the same as suggesting something like uh, a mulled wine or uh, a port or something like that. Um, it's variations of the theme, and and it's not that I would need to reach out for that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'd I'd love to try ice wine. It's been a long time. Um, it's not that I would need a variation of it because there's already varieties of wine. So it's it's fair to say that I I'm, I don't have good taste. It's fair to say that that was a bad wine or a bad batch even, because um, you might have one brand type style of wine, but well, in different years. Sitting there for a while. Well, that doesn't necessarily matter. Like this is wine in a box, right? So so I don't know how much respect I have for something like that, but I don't think it's going to change much over. Time. I don't think it's gonna. Maybe it does have an expiry date. That's an actual wall. That's because it's eroded the insides or something like that of that box. But uh, I drank it and it was, it was, it was bad. It was bad, bad. And I, I continued. I'm like, okay, well, a couple sips in, I was already feeling it, and I, I knew it was kind of awful. But I kept sipping it over the course of essentially two large snacks um it's like a, a two large meal a, a two big meal 
and uh, I couldn't finish it. Actually, I maybe I no, no, I'm pretty sure I still had a significant amount. This wasn't in a wine glass, which is something I brought up when I was first pouring it out. I'm like, this is this is wrong. This is why it's okay. I want you to imagine that you're like, uh, that young age where you can't afford furniture in your apartment. And yeah, but you're not a connoisseur of wine. You're just literally trying to drink it again, again, but I had access to wine glasses and you, you, you tell me that, no, no, you don't need to that. Right. But so part of the, the taste wouldn't have changed, but part of the experience of, of participating in the ritual of drinking wine, it could have been enhanced by, by having the correct tools. And it, it always makes me laugh about, and the reason I have that in my head is when you're young and you bring a girl over to your apartment that doesn't even have furniture and you're like hanging out on the floor, eating pizza kind of thing. And nobody really cares. Cause you know, life is what it is. And, but you have like a bottle of wine. You're like, cause <laughs> it's pizza and wine. Right. So you, you break that out and, 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 you know, maybe she's excited about that. And, um, and you're like, you're looking around for something to pour this, this mediocre wine. Like maybe you, you spent the budget on getting decent wine. Cause you like the girl or something like that. And you bring that out and, uh, you got, you've got nothing. You've got like, um, thrift store mismatched glasses, and but at least they're glass. Right. And, and you're like, Oh, well, I I heard this story about this one girl who was so deeply offended. <laughs> She's like, okay, well, no, no, no. Stop. The evening is going to stop now. We're going to go out and buy some wine glasses. Because she was the sort, right? And and I'm, that's always stuck in my head as it being a, kind of an offensive concept, a comically offensive concept to not have specifically for wine, specifically for women, and specifically for glasses, to not have the correct combination of stuff. It's always made me uncomfortable after that. It's always made me uncomfortable to not have. Now, I moved to a new place, and sooner or later, I have to make sure there are wine glasses there. <laughs> just because they'll collect dust, but you know, I, it just has to be a thing. Um, I don't care about, because I know people have the equivalent for like beer glasses, this kind of stuff. So they'll get pub style. The, oh, I hate them because they're incredibly cheap glass. I mean, they're they're meant to be cheap glass because if you're in a bar setting, you know, back in my day when we had bars, um, that you there'd be terrible thin walled glasses so that they would be less expensive to replace. So because they're going to get broken, you know, not every night or anything, but often enough that you're not going to get the good stuff. Plus, people walk drunken idiots walk out with beer beer glasses. And uh, I know that's a thing for for some people, or they have weird collectible stuff. Um, I don't approve of any of that. I actually don't like beer at all. Um, and it, it's uh, it's a thing where a lot of of there are people with like how do I put it? There are people who are particularly sensitive. They have a they have a sense of taste. And that sense of taste actually makes them dislike beer, specifically beer. 
Um, it's not necessarily an alcohol thing or a, like a physical vulnerability to the the actual alcohol content and the effects of it. It's it's beer, and it's a thing. It's just it's not like uh, there's never going to be an argument for that sort of person where it's like oh well you haven't had the right beer. You you need to make sure it's that that wasn't chilled just right. You should try this craft beer. Like there will be no circumstance where the correct thing can be presented and they'll they'll love it. It'll be like, hey, this is tolerable. And but that might be one in every several dozen different beer varieties. And I'm something like that. And I can't remember the name of the last beer that I liked because not because I don't I don't pub crawl back when that was a thing. And so I don't I ne- I didn't have a youth full of the money wasting going and experimenting with a whole bunch of different beers. But there was one beer, except I can't remember its name. And it really sucks because the the memory in my head is well, it was back when Rickard's Red was new. That's pretty vague. I think it was a I think it was a big name brand. And it was it was and so I could look up the history of beer of that particular variety and then kind of based on that date, look at all of whatever else was available. I mean, that's possible, but I'll have to find a beer that I found mediocre as opposed to bad. Um, so alcohol, alcohol is something that I've got like a little shopping list of that I did some research on because I'm like, okay, well, I've been thinking because of the food security issue because of the, the times. I had been thinking more broadly in terms of things like alcohol um because even it maybe especially in a fallen nation in a ruined world alcohol still has incredible importance and so it's part of the like zombie apocalypse plan and it's it's part of food insecurity and it's part of the love of exploring these ideas and stuff like that i went looking for what what is out there like like if i wanted to have a home bar because that's that's the thought experiment that a lot of people go through now, let me see i have notes if i wanted to have a home bar which is a that's a phrase to, to look up if i wanted to do that well what would i need and every you know everybody's going to have an opinion about something like that and it's going to drill down to things like well you have to have vodka, and everybody agrees that you have to have vodka, you know, except for that one guy over there, but just ignore that guy. But if you have to have vodka, you really need this brand? <laughs> and the next person will say, whoa, what do you, no, you should try this brand. And, and so I actually found, you know, eventually a poke around YouTube, and I had a friend of mine send a YouTube video to me. And I guess I'll make a note of what video that was, if I can actually find it. It's called The Essentials to a Five-Bottle Bar, which sounds really straightforward, right? Um, and so I watched this, and I took really careful notes because they weren't smart enough to just list all the brands of whatever the heck they're talking about. So if you didn't know how to spell vodka, <laughs> like you're really new to stuff, you don't understand what this stuff is. They're just using words, and you have no idea what they're talking about this would be an awful video to watch because i'm there i'm there rewinding and going through again and again to try to figure out what the heck they're talking about and occasionally uh, occasionally i had to pause 
to look at what they were holding to go and look up the manufacturer to figure out what the heck variety of what they're talking about is this is like okay well one of the things that they talk about is whiskey oh great okay whiskey i've heard that word before it's like well you want buffalo trans kentucky straight bourbon whiskey i'm like well that's a lot of words i don't understand <laughs> okay kentucky's a place in the united states by the way i'm canadian straight straight i thought bourbon was a different thing i thought whiskey was a like, what's a bourbon whiskey? And I don't understand any of that stuff. And I just want I just want somebody smart to tell me what to, to get. And I so I watch this video and I lose all respect for these guys because they can't explain things properly. And I don't know who they are. They've got some popular YouTube channel. I don't care. And so what I do is I go through the comments. And whenever whenever there's a video with the sort of people that have the kind of expertise that you don't exactly respect, they're just they're they're just there and they're popular, but it doesn't mean they're any good. It doesn't mean they have good things to say necessarily. Or watch a video from people like this. Go and look in the comments and and you will find well, you'll find opinions as a start, which is amusing enough and that's well worth it. You will you will occasionally find unverifiable experts. Let's just say. So it's people who have, you'll, you'll recognize them as being more eloquent. So they'll say things like, okay, well, for whiskey, although, like, although this particular brand is like this, it's supposed to be very smooth and it's, so it would be good for this, this kind of thing and this kind of thing. You'll get a comment from somebody who's a little more expert at explaining things who will actually make a, an argument for something else like everybody else in the comments of this video was just going on well this is my five bottle this is my eight bottle and they'll they'll give their preferences with vague vague explanations if any and that helped a lot i, I took a bunch of those lists and went, well these were upvoted a lot i guess that's because i had no idea what i was doing and that's fine so i so i have some notes and I'm thinking, well, you know, I don't know what I'm doing with anything. And frankly, I'm not going to be drinking a lot of this stuff. It might be an interesting experiment. You know, when you've got people over, you're like, hey, guys, I've got a bunch of this stuff and some recipes. You guys want to, while we're waiting for the pizza to get here, try and making some of this stuff. And uh, it's so it's kind of there. It's one of these things where if you've got a couple of hundred bucks to burn and and many hours worth of research that you're interested in doing because because by the way a lot of people have some spare time right about now so this was something that i decided to kind of spend my time with i didn't spend a lot of time with it compared to other like the phone thing that i'll probably rant about um but this is an interesting excuse for learning about something that's pretty common because although I don't like a lot of alcohol um, and I have bad taste for what I do like, uh, it's still an interesting topic that's universal enough that, I mean, it's part of our everyday life. And I've, I've had this notion in my head about seeing as we have access to information now, well, how do you refine what you should be learning about? 
well, there's going to be emergencies in your life, and there's going to be kind of the past. That there's going to be things in your past that you want to learn about. Sometimes it's to avoid a mistake, or sometimes it's you're preparing for something and you want to know as much as possible. And you learn to you learn the language of the thing that you're interested in, and then you learn to search and you learn to sit down and and find the information and learn it. You can do all that, and those things become really obvious. Like, for example, uh, you're paying a lot of rent, and you decide that you you're going to work on buying a house, but you don't know what that's like. So you can like go to YouTube and go buy. How do I buy a house? Right, and the, that's terrible and it's going to give you terrible results but it's better than nothing and it's it's down a path the the impetus for you pursuing that research is obvious it, there's a moment in your life there's a concern that you have you know i've got i've got this weird peeling skin on my foot <laughs> is this is this lupus like you can you can go and you can be, just don't act on that information cuz it's going to be bad Welcome to the internet. It's just like that. But so there, there are obvious paths, but there are things in your life that you could learn about that you never thought that you ought to learn about. And the example that I have in mind is you should learn about locks. You use one every day, many times a day, often. Well, you use the lock on your front door. Well, how does that work? How does the key work? Like, what is it about cars that makes their, like, why are the keys different? And what does that mean? There's a lot of objects in your life that you use very regularly that if you're interested, you, you should go and learn more about it. And this, there used to be TV shows all about this sort of stuff. One, and I don't know if this was the title, it's called How It's Made. And it would go into like, factories and stuff like that and be like how are noodles made or how how is this and it would go and it would explore the different aspects in the chain of supply to making a particular product you could do something like that if you've got the time or if you're a <laughs> if you're a parent with a an interested child and you have no idea how to feed that mind is it's you have recommendations from school and that's not enough. And that's, let's face it, that's probably really boring if you're, if you're a, let's call it a new stay-at-home parent. If you're new at that and uh, your, your kid is, is rowdy but interested, you could, you could pursue how it's made type stuff. And there's a lot of really, really interesting stuff that's out there. And it's really well done. And it's, it's, it's not child friendly, but it's the act. It's it's friendly to the active mind. So, you know, there's a lot of information out, out there that has a certain style to it. That's talking down to the learner, and and this is declared as being child friendly, but it's insulting even to kids that are to a kid that's actually highly interested. That that presentation is awful. They would be better off being given a reasonable, eloquent, you know, patient adult explanation than one of these. They don't need Muppets to teach them about physics. They need a re they need a reasonable, structured what with experiments that are demonstrated. 
and that'll totally get them on board. If it starts going down the weird math route, the right teacher, like you get a, you get a highly interested 14 year old, it, they'll sit down for, for like a third year university lecture that leads from experimentation to the math and the math will just totally go over their head, but there will be little snippets that are, that are interesting. Um, I like bringing that as a, as an advanced form of education. I like bringing physics up, uh, not just because I'm, I'm really interested in it, not because I'm any good at it, but I'm just really interested in it because there was this, uh, he was a Dutch born American uh, university professor. And I can't remember what school it was. I think, I think he was Stanford and he was, he was famous. I mean, it was kind of a joke, but he could, he could hand draw really strange dotted lines with chalk. And, and people, people loved him for that. Cause that was just one of those kooky nuances about there's always something there's, there's just that sciencey sort. That's a little bit strange and it's really common. It's, it's fine. It's just, you know, the, the smart, weird people. And so he was kind of in there, but his thing was actual physical demonstration of the things that he would later build the real hard math on. And this, this is a, a great example of how you get somebody who's essentially right out of high school and really doesn't understand a lot of stuff how to show them everyday things and then lead it into the the hard stuff. Like how do rainbows work? Like why, why is a rainbow full of light? Like why does it separate into colors? And then ask different questions that people might not have thought about, which is why, why is a rainbow over there? Not over here. Why, if you move, does the rainbow move like it's the upper half of a tunnel? And it's always facing you. Why are the, did you notice? And why are all the colors in the same arrangement? Why aren't they flipped every once in a while? Why aren't you getting, you know, part of a rainbow? Why aren't you getting different shapes? Why, 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 why? If you look really carefully under the different circumstances, you get a second rainbow. Why is it always like that? Why is it positioned like that? Did you look and see that the colors are different? If you look really carefully, do you think you might see a third rainbow and why? And it, and it goes through the math. Why is that second rainbow so much harder to see? There's a reason for that. And learning about things that you experience regularly is a great lead to a lot of really wonderful education. And it can be stuff that's, that's way over your head and that's fine. And when, and this is one of the problems with with information online, let's see, there's a lot of it because there's a lot of life and there's a lot of people with specialties for the nuances in our lives. So you could go out there and you could get really challenging, deep uh, tutorials, explanations, demonstrations of, of so many things. And you, you're only you, you only have so much time. You only have so much interest. And so there might be something that's, that's, a, that's really wonderful for you, but only the first hour is, is any good. And it's a, it's a, uh, a three-hour lecture with 11 different parts. And at some point, 
in, in the world, you're presented with so much information that you have to learn to hold back. So you can look at your life and find all these different opportunities of things to learn, but you're never going to run out of any one of those topics. And because you're never going to run out of any one, you might be wasting time going down the path of one of those things and removing the opportunity to spend time at a little bit of all of the things. And so, for example, with the physics thing, you could, you could be like the, the young person, like the 14-year-old. You could be highly interested in the demonstrations and then just go math, not my thing. Maybe sit through a little bit of it, fast forward, see if there's more experiments, more demonstrations, whatever. And then just go and then stop. And don't go past the one hour. Don't. It's like studying. Start at 100%. Start highly interested in that particular video. You will, you will lose interest over time, just normally, because you have to sleep at night. You, you get a little tired over the day. And your brain gets full, so to speak. And then just find that moment when there's not enough uh, return on your investment of your time. And just stop. Stop, take a break. If it matters to you, come back to the same thing or find some other video on the same topic. And then come back, or maybe the next day or whenever, and go for the next thing. So I could sit there and I could learn about how locks work. And that's right away going to get into lock picking. And maybe that's highly interested for like, the the rebellious kid or maybe just the rebellious kid in you that wants to know how like that because that's kind of dangerous knowledge right and and yet it's an it's literally an everyday thing no how, you don't i don't see how hmm? lock picking would be dangerous knowledge well that's that's a skill that criminals use right now, a lot of things are skills that criminals use, but that one is obvious. Well, couldn't anything be defined as skills that criminals can use? Yeah, of course. This is something, uh, this particular example I like using because it's often kind of highlighted in Hollywood movies. You get these crime movies that are, it's a pretty common topic for a movie, a genre. And so lockpicking is just one of the things. And it's not like you can learn uh, forced entry or something like that, which is also another criminal skill. It's also a law enforcement skill. Um, so easily and and being so interested as as lockpicking because you walk past windows <laughs> and doors all the time, and it's not necessarily a leap to go from doors to understanding the strengths of door hinges and how to knock a door off its hinges. Like you can learn about that. I'm. Maybe I shouldn't go down this route, but dear reader, there's stuff about every object in your life that you could learn about that has a criminal element to it, that has the knowledge out there, and it's legal to to get the knowledge, to have it presented for you to learn it, but it's illegal for you to use it. And some it's more illegal in different places and at different times. Like you could learn how to film people. You could get lessons on on filming and, and that's a really subtle complicated thing but if you film people without their knowing it that might be illegal that might actually not be illegal depending on where you are it depends on where are. you are where we yeah the united states is the united states say i don't even know about canada because i think it's a federal thing it's nope. it's countrywide it's, it's one party consent where we are 
Yeah. And, and which means you have to know if you're filming <laughs> or they have to know and you don't, which is the strangest. Like, imagine you had a camera on you that you didn't know about and, and, but they did and they wanted to get themselves filmed by you from your perspective without you knowing like that, that would actually hold up in court. That's dumb, but it would, it would work because you're one of the parties. <laughs> They're one of the parties and they can know. But in the United States, you have one party and two party consent concepts. And I don't know how, how much broader it gets. And one of the ways you can witness this in effect is if you see um, the kind of mid-range journalism. And mid-range journalism is like low-budget journalism, possibly with good equipment or with good skill. But there are certain limitations. And you'll see that with like large institutionalized kind of uh, media uh, and but you'll see like like everyday people filming and you'll see faces blurred and that's because of the consent laws in that particular region it's not necessarily because of the topic that they're filming about or anything like that and there are other times when they'll just they will not do that even though they probably should because i mean i don't know about you i consider it rather rude to be filmed and i i yeah that's a thing of mine. I don't like it. I don't like I don't like cameras being pointed at me, let alone filming. And I mean, the world we're in, that's probably a good thing to have. But I think not many people understand the idea that if you're taking a selfie and you're capturing the image of people behind you, you might actually be breaking the law so... in any number of ways. Because if you put that thing up on Facebook and Facebook decides to tag the image of people that are in the background, um, you, you might be in serious trouble. Well, that's the problem is you yourself are probably breaking the law a lot and not even knowing because of uh, we have more laws than we can actually enforce, which is one of the biggest problems in freedom, let's say, roughly. Um, where you, first off, you don't actually know all your laws is a little strange. You might know a couple selectively based on which laws you feel like, kind of like <laughs> what boundaries you push in your hobbies, let's say. So you have to know some of the laws. So for example, what we did in this podcast was we learned that an 11 second clip <laughs> of somebody that wasn't really popular is still is was still technically breaking the law, even though it was even though I'd probably win a court case over it, it wouldn't matter. But we had to learn kind of the hard way. Now, if we wanted to under, to to do that and push the boundaries, we would have to learn the law for that stuff. And in fact, we'd have to learn our local laws and we'd have to learn YouTube's rules and we'd have to learn the laws local to the hosting and to the, and who knows, right? We'd have to learn all that. But there's a whole lot of laws that everybody is subject to that we, we never went to a class for that. You think if the government had so much control over education that they'd actually put in like how to interact with the government as a course, uh, why that's there? Uh -huh. I mean, having undereducated citizens just leads to a lot of waste. Maybe I'm onto something there. Um, so... So you could learn about how a lot of things are just made because they're interesting. 
So the, the lock thing is an interesting thing, but it could also be like a lot of people end up philosophically being involved in some things. Like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not pressuring vegans or anything like that, but they are a great example of, of how a philosophy impacts uh, the kind of research of stuff in a person's life because it ends up being, well, uh, if you're vegan, you can't eat jello because jello has gelatin derived from the from bone, right? And that's not necessarily true with all of that particular variety of, of food necessarily. And maybe there's I alternatives. Gelatin was from the feet. I can't remember exactly, but it was an, it's an animal. It's a really obscure animal product. And and a lot of like a vegetarian would say, well, it doesn't have meat in it, so I don't I don't care. Or because they'll also say the same thing about it, and it varies, right? So there's philosophy. Some some will say cheese is okay, milk is okay. Some will say eggs is okay, and, and stuff like that. Vegans are vegans. Um, there there's no variation in veganism. It it is what it is, and there's no exception to it. Um, and it's an example of a person understanding a, a a specific having a specific ideology when they're observing their life and then learning about that but even if it's a very limited amount of learning but they're learning about all the things they consume they're learning about you know what their belt is made of what their shoes are made of if you had a specific philosophy in mind like think of the children and that's that's a major driving force philosophy in the way you look at your life. You look at your pair of shoes and go, I, I will not buy that because it was made in Madagascar, because Madagascar has these child labor laws, and the company that made these shoes has these parts, this assemblage done in that country, and you blacklist that particular product, maybe that entire brand. So you might go, Nike, I don't trust Nike, done. And, and that might be your thing. And you look at all the products you have or you consume, and you consider these things. And that's really, really complex research. Maybe there's a community that that colludes with this kind of research and tries to all cooperate to understand these things. Because often, I mean, a company that's doing something that might be considered, um, well, a company that's doing something that would be illegal where they're selling the product, let's say, like slave labor, child labor, something like that, that company would want to keep it quiet, <laughs> at least for the locals that they're selling to. Even if it's legal, whatever they're doing could be legal, could just be socially inconvenient, let's say. Um, but there are communities of people that have to work through those barriers to understand certain topics. So you could could pursue knowledge based on an ideology of some sort. But often, I wouldn't recommend doing that because you can just do a bunch of stuff on your own. So, so, um, so just learning about any particular object that you're interested in. And so the, the spin would be the fixation on the object, not on certain ideas of many things. So... So you might hear about something and you want to research it. Like I heard that like the orange paint on certain dishes made way back when was actually radioactive and you do myth busting on that. And, 
and you learn that, oh yeah, yeah, this uh, certain, there's a, a way of creating brightness that's put on, uh, it's actually baked into certain ceramics for certain, pa uh, certain patterns that's made with radium. And then, and you've learned that, and that's okay. <laughs> it's not like radioactive, radioactive, where you're going to die. And, but you're going to find, well, people, and, and you'll find the corner cases where it's true that people got sick or it's, it, or that's a myth. And maybe, maybe all of what I just said will prompt you to go and learn about that stuff. And maybe it's really cool and fascinating and you'll go down other paths because the people that create the myth busting kind of you know, infographics and, and websites, and they are interested in, maybe they're interested in the safety in dishes and like, that's their thing. So you could kind of like poke around and do the equivalent of the physics thing, which is you, you, you'd only consume that one hour's worth and, and then you just leave because maybe you don't really care about like the history of the labor laws in making in making china teacups in the 1800s it's like that would be fascinating for those people for you you just cared about the radium thing and, and moving right along and maybe you'd bump into something weird and related like the uh in world war ii in aircraft in britain they had a compass on the aircraft and the compass uh, because it was hard to see, they actually had essentially kind of, it wasn't just glow in the dark, but it was also kind of day glow. So if it was cloudy and stuff like that, you could clearly see the compass. And it was painted with, it was actually painted with radioactive, dangerous radioactive stuff. But it was, it was dangerous if you held the thing. It was dangerous if you, if you approached the thing. And so people will do like a video with a Geiger counter, which measures the radiation as they approach. <laughs> and as they approach, it's like, it's okay on the shelf over there. Just don't handle the thing. Don't handle the thing at least for too long. <laughs> uh, and you learn about stuff like that. And maybe that will, will put, maybe you didn't know, but now you're interested in like World War II aircraft technology. And you started down that route because you were myth busting something weird that you thought would be cool. So you actually have opportunities, little gateways to do these research projects based solely on these, these little curiosities. And actually doing myth busting is something that's rather fun. Just make sure it's like, uh, make sure it's product myth, myth busting. As, and as soon as you get into anything that's weird, like historical event myth busting or something like that, yeah, it's you're not going to get good information. <laughs> you're probably going to go down a route where you'll question your sanity for any particular topic. Um. So, so yeah, that's that's always been something that. And the thing is, it's a massive time waster if you're not careful. So it's a good thing. That's a good thing to replace as a hobby to replace like. If you loved outdoor sports and now you can't do that, I mean, you you can you can discover that you're a researcher sort, but it's not for everyone. Um, I'm I don't know how much time I have for 
for another thing to talk Two about. Minutes. But well, this I know. I just don't know how long I'm gonna take. So I hmm. Okay, so I'm gonna start with I guess I'll it's probably good that it's only 10 minutes. So I went through so I've been writing for a very, very long time. And I write stuff that nobody has really read. You know, back in the early internet, nobody was on it. And so stuff that you would write wouldn't get read. And you wouldn't necessarily know if somebody would read it, would would have read it because you didn't have the kind of social tracking and interaction back then. These days, the, the same is true. Like you could put something up and it might be, you could put something up, but it's in a sea, it's in a forest of many other authors. So your stuff still might not get seen, even though there's a larger population. There's also a larger, um, there, just because there are more consumers and there are more producers, you're not going to stand out. And so the same is still true now. So I was reading my, my old writing. I was considering you know, whether or not I want to put it up again, whether or not I want to revise it. And, I, and so I was reading this stuff. And it was the first thing that I wrote was in July two, 2006. And then, and just coincidentally, I wrote it, I read it and wrote it again in July 2007. And I have to think, okay, 2007. So that's 13 years ago. Okay, 13 years ago, I was writing this and reading it. And what it was, was a breakdown of my life, of what I was interested in, of the kinds of th the, the way I worked and what things I wanted to do and how I felt about certain stuff. And uh, the thing was, it was pretty rambling, but it was highly, highly, uh, I don't know how to explain it, but it was it was really engaging. It was really good writing. And it really did explain a lot of deep subtleties of my personality. And so I write in such a way that I expect my future self to read it. And that nowadays I recognize that's what I have been doing. But back then I didn't know that that's what I was doing, I would, I, but I, but it would happen. And now I do it with that in mind. Back then I did it and I kind of knew it would happen. So I read these things and they're, they're really, really shockingly accurate today. You know, talking about how we work, what, you know, like what my limitations are, what things I'm interested in. Um, and it's, it's strange because I've, I've, we kind of make fun of the idea of, of old people not learning things, being grumpy about stuff and, and we think, well, I'm not going to be like that. And I know a lot of young people, they look at people that are older and go, oh, you just don't understand everything, man. And, and you think that your world is, is so different and things are going to be new and, and rah, rah. And, okay. And the thing is, I've, and I've known about that because I could look back and I could look at how, like, how students of between ages X and Y, and I could look back at and look at what they were like in the 2010s, the 2000s, and I could go back and I could see the themes. I could see the high school themes, you know, like, oh, goth is just like this other thing that happened before. Like punk is just this other thing that happened before. Oh, like, and it, and you can actually go back through history and you'll, you'll find 
And it's each generation thinks that it is unique, but they're all exactly the same. They just rebel in exactly the same ways with different colored clothing. And oh, th this was a generation that was rebelling by wearing short skirts. And this was the generation that rebelled by, I, it's yawn. <laughs> and all of them think, all those old people, they, they get, they're just grumpy and they don't get it. And, and we'll show them, we'll change the world and blah, blah, blah. And I thought that too, for the longest time, until I learned that I was becoming grumpy and old. And I, and, and reading this from, again, 13 years ago, and that, that's something that like a lot of younger people can't comprehend. This is 13 years ago. And the person, the really careful, eloquent personality writing that I had revisited uh, is still correct, which means I've stagnated somehow. Like I'm a, I'm a better speaker, better explainer kind of stuff. And, and I had noted that that was stuff that I was working on. Okay, success. I've, I've, I'm still working. Uh, you're forever working on stuff, but I'm still working on stuff and I've actually gone somewhere which is kind of nice. It's kind of nice to, to see, see that my past self had been working on something and to see that I am now, I had inherited all that effort, even if I don't really remember starting, starting down that path. Um, and, and it's, and I'm still trying to encourage the, the youthful mind for a lot of things, uh, but I'm finding myself kind of getting mired in finishing the stuff that I've already set out to do in being interested in the things that are from my youth. And I think the best example is I, we've all, I think everybody knows this. I think it's common, but if you look at everybody with reasonably compatible cultures has a thing for music and has a thing for music when you're young. And often it's like, when you were young, you were given rebellious music. You were told it was popular. It's all you were shown. You ended up liking it. You think you had free will and you think that you liked it because you liked it. Well, every generation has been fed a kind of music and they like it <laughs> because of that. So in the 1980s, all the, all the youths, growing up in the 1980s liked 1980s music and 20 years later when you go back to that music there's the popular stuff well the popular stuff isn't popular because it's good it's popular because the environment was managed and those were the songs that were put there for the audience it was decided that those would be the popular songs that's how a lot of music works it's a little different now that we have the internet hooray kind of was for a while now it's a little bit different and and what's interesting is is i've wondered if my taste in music could change so that i could grow away from that that managed childhood favorites of of music growing up because 1980s music wasn't particularly popular partic particularly popular in the 1980s as weird as that sounds it had its revival starting in the early 90s of all things <laughs> and uh i know in toronto that was a thing in the region because there was one radio station that had like an 80s night <laughs> and it was, it was a lot of fun 
and that was back we'd have the radio on me and some friends and uh, we'd be playing Dungeons and Dragons and listening to the radio and it was always exciting that particular day and that particular time to have 80s music so I've been paying attention and one of the things that I've done to try to not be an old dog is to go and even engage with with young people and find out what they're interested in and try to find the things that they're interested in before those things get um, lose their rough edges before they get bought out before they sell out to the to the mainstream back when they're indie and and find that stuff and see if i can fall in love with different genres and i'm still finding myself liking things that borrow from the history of music from my youth so i'm not sure i can escape that and i'm not sure i can escape the inauthenticity of the managed music that's out there like as i said before i've talked before about but what i like in music and why i like it having examined it but i'm still i'm not sure if that was managed for me or if i'm actually discovering something about myself that that is really unique to me. I think that is the case. I think so. So we're going to take a break. We'll be back in about 10 minutes. I'm back. And here we are. Okay, so uh, I am somewhat going to continue on the old dog track. Um, I've... Because I, I was one of those shy nerds in school and computer, the internet wasn't really a thing and uh, computers were st still a nerdy topic where all the popular people didn't go there. And so I had been highly interested in, in technology for a very long time. I was so from back then, it was what we would in incorrectly call PC. I was a PC guy. And so I've, I've revisited a lot of that older technology multiple times, and I still have a lot of software from back then. And, but I, I don't have, I mean, I've got one slightly older computer that still has a floppy drive in it. And maybe that's something I should maintain. But even then, uh, it doesn't really matter because the software side of the technology has changed so much that I can emulate the environment of, of my youth if I ever wanted to re-experience that. Um, so I've been highly interested in technology, uh, but I've got everything's kind of shiny new. There are certain limitations I will not, because it's a bad return on investment, I will not buy cutting edge stuff. It's For me, it's something like an insult, and I feel like I'm being taken advantage of by, by the seller, by being sold this brand new fancy stuff. Right now, I think all of the problems in computing are... Uh, grounded well and truly grounded in software so if you wanted improvement for example on quote unquote speed throwing more money at hardware that's not the right approach the problem is software the problem is the software tools being used are constantly changing that's not good it needs to be because a lot of the let's say problems of methods and problems of tools with software those those things were solved a long time ago we just haven't continued using those things and building and strengthening that people have just because they're the sort people have gone well we should try this new fad this new way of doing things this new programming language for example and software is never stabilized because of that and so the 
in terms of technology these days, uh, technology and its improvement is well and truly, truly rooted in the problems of getting software improved, making it consistent and doing stuff with it. But I wanted to talk about, um, about the old dog quality of technology. And so I still have a lot of legacy stuff there. I do have reasons for it. So for example, although I have Windows, Windows 10, I've got no problems. I'll be updating to, to the next Windows if one comes out. Um, but I've had a, a strict requirement to, uh, to emulate my previous environments. And that might be done via software that has legacy components, legacy plugins and stuff like that. Um, because I've got certain hard requirements on stuff that isn't available in, in the newer things. And sometimes I've got um, like virtualization setup. So that, for example, I use Linux in two different ways on Windows. One is in something that is quote unquote built in called um, Windows Subsystems for Linux. And the other is I use VirtualBox with actual virtual machines with, with Linuxes in them. And that's partly for legacy reasons because I've got software that I'm used to. It doesn't have a Windows equivalent. Uh, but I also have stuff that is very Linux specific that requires that. Um, so there are reasons for that, but I still explore the latest and greatest stuff. And phones was mobile technology. Mobile phones was something that I had an eye on for a very long time. And I looked into it, first seriously looked into it, middle of 2017, of all things. So, I mean, at that point, I was really grumpy about it. I knew that phones just wouldn't go away and that this fad would would solidify it would metastasize in our culture and I, I got that new phone that i had talked about before and i had literally got it that day last show and i had been uh, ex exploring it experimenting with it for uh, probably a couple hours a day since then and my first impression of the phone still is that it's wildly underutilized and this is partly a, a, the software versus hardware problem. The hardware has absolutely improved. Um, and it's it blows away my previous phone. Now, does it mean it's particularly useful to be faster? No. Like, there's nothing about the phone so far that that makes it like better, better than my old phone. My old phone will still do all the stuff. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's still Android 7, which isn't totally old, technically. Um, I mean, I can I can browse a little faster, but not by not by much. It's just that the technology has improved. Thankfully, the price hasn't changed. I happen to get a phone that's a little bit pricier than the the previous phone. Is a pretty a really capable low end phone. This is a really capable mid end phone, so it's going to have that price uh, that cost. But I still get the impression that it's underutilized, that hardware is not is definitely not being used. It wasn't being used before. Now it's absolutely not. And so it's just a software issue. Android got updated. So it's got Android 10 on it. And uh, what does that introduce? Basically nothing. A, a little bit of UI change. Uh, uh, some subtleties with the way notifications work. Some, oh no, swiping is different. It, nothing's actually improved. Really, it's just some UI filling. 
the software side of things still has some issues. I should test this because I believe the Bluetooth stack in the, so it's, there's a, a huh, how do I explain this? Okay, so the operating system is Android and underneath that is a set of tools. And the set of tools that are being used by Android are themselves their own separate project. And one of the projects deals with Bluetooth and it's not a hardware issue with Bluetooth. The Bluetooth physical hardware technology, it's good. It keeps getting improved. And what people think of uh, in terms of Bluetooth, they look at a number, they're like, oh, I want Bluetooth 5.0. 4.1 is a smaller number. I don't want that. And then I go and actually look at the specs, the documentation as to what's been changed between the versions of Bluetooth. And I see that uh, it's it's nothing that has to do with my use case for Bluetooth. Oh, oh no, it's extended range. Well, the, the wireless that I need to get from my phone to what I'm using for Bluetooth is from my pocket to my ears. That That's the distance I need. If I put my phone down, then it's across my kitchen. There's nothing else. I don't really care about like extended ranges for this stuff. And so there, there's, there's hardware stuff, but the hardware stuff, is, it can be... It can be stagnant. It can be where it is for a long time. The software problem for Bluetooth, as the example, is that there's a, a lag. So if, you're, if you have Bluetooth headphones in and you're watching a video, there will be a lip syncing problem for the videos that you're watching. Now, that, that isn't a hardware thing. And I know hardware is the first thing that people will talk about. They're like, well, it's because your phone is old or whatever the heck. Or they might even blame your headphones. Then they'll start blaming the the version of the Bluetooth that you're using. Oh, you want the newer, you want the, and then they'll say, well, you need Apple. And they'll be right, because that's a software change. That happens to also be a hardware change, but it's the software change that really matters in this particular case, because Bluetooth is Bluetooth is Bluetooth. It's the same standard across these platforms, um, you'll get different interfaces, but you'll get different libraries underneath that manage them. What's on Android, at least for the, the 7.0 Android of my old phone, the Bluetooth functionality there was crippled because the software was bad. I mean, I can say bad as an objective fact, because one of the requirements of Bluetooth is that that delay of processing the data on the phone versus getting it transmitted, that delay was huge. And so that would be one of the one one of the success cases of actually making that viable for for production for giving to everyday people. One of the the one of the the bullet points, one of the check boxes that should be checked is making that fast so that you can actually so that you don't have the lip syncing problem. I need to test that on on ten, and I've got new headphones that are coming in next week. And we'll we'll see. I'll do some. I'll run some proper tests. Uh, but that's that's an example of the underutilization being a software thing, being a software problem. But really, really, it's under underutilized as a computer because I could do better stuff on a on an eight megahertz computer. I could do more things. And the problem with the phone is you have certain fundamental limitations. It's the virtual keyboard is the big one, right? 
which is fascinating because I've collected mobile technology, full computer mobile technology, something that I've been interested in for a long time. I've collected those, those devices. I have one, it's broken just across the room. Um, and there's only, I think there's only one kind that I don't have that would map, that would be a full computer, full computer that runs DOS was my requirement. And this isn't like the Windows CE machines or anything like that. This is actual traditional hardware. So the, the phone, this reminds me of this old, old sharp. It was, it was really big. So it's not as big as your keyboard, but it was, if you have one of those keyboards that doesn't have the number pad, it's still smaller than that. So it's, like between your Q and your P keys, it's about that size. It's it, it's a chunk. And it had a, a full keyboard, but the the display was only X number of characters tall. So it ran a full operating system, but its limitation was it, it was mostly keyboard and it was less screen. I'm so reminded of that whenever I pick up a phone that at best, I would want to turn it landscape mode. So on its side, and and use a larger virtual keyboard and then i've got like five lines of text and i'm i'm reminded of just how bad and ancient th that technology was even back then that i can't now with these supercomputers i i still I'm, i still have that fundamental limitation why did my phone just turn on while i was handling it there's supposed to be a wave sensor on here somehow but i can't make it go consistently Oh, wow. So I actually found a way to get a full Linux distribution running on a phone. It did it again. Is it because you're looking at me? It's I think probably it, you're staring at the camera. It's my FBI agent. Hey, bro, what's up? Sorry about that thing last day. Ping, it's um, okay. Pretend <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't uh, here. I did turn the Google Assistant's crap off, and I didn't just turn it off. I actually went and obliterated the tasks. I still can't get the damn Google search bar to go away. I made it stop saying that it's Google. It just says search, but I, and I can't click it anymore. But it's it's there. It's permanently affixed to my home screen, wasting space, and nobody knows how to get rid of it. Oh no! The other thing what a shame. What's well, it's a it's a waste of like a centimeter of height off of my phone on the one on the main screen. And so it's it's ugly. It's like ah oh, interface is another thing that just pisses me off. Um and so so the other thing that I've got a problem with is in this particular, because there are like subtle versions of Android now, they they wouldn't be good enough to go 10.0, 10.1. It, that stuff is hidden. So I think right now I've got 10.1 on this. And if I switch to any application, let's see. So I've got like a file manager going. I look what I've what I've arranged because there are three methods over the years of of navigation of swiping on your phone. One that had physical hardware buttons, or it might have one button and maybe that button that like the home button in the middle, and maybe that acts as a fingerprint reader or something like that. 
Then you have two buttons on the side, one for going back, whatever back means, and the other for switching applications. And Wait. that migrates. What? You have two, what? the two buttons on the side, most people just use them for volume. And I'm talking about the bottom. I'm talking about the side. Well, okay. You, you can do that. I will continue talking about the bottom. So um, from, from that, there was this other thing, and I don't know what that is because I never used a phone from that generation, but it's also using a bar down there. Now, that functionality also does exist for Android 10. In fact, it's default, and which is what it, which is annoying because I needed to figure out how to change it. But it's this thing where it used the entirety of the screen for gesturing in in so I can swipe right from the bottom up, and that means home. I don't have a button down there that does it. I don't have a, a zone for tapping. And left and right are swiping. Well, left and right swipes. Um, will go back. So even if I'm swiping in from the left-hand side, it's going back, which, is, which sounds weird, but it's actually kind of handy. Um, at any rate, so I've got this functionality, and what it does is it removes the reservation of that bar across the bottom of the screen. So I can use it. I can use that for my software, which would be great, except now I've got this bright white bar on the bottom of the screen. It, and it, it's just there and it just glares at me and never changes color. And I don't know how to get rid of it. And that is a very specific thing from this particular version of Android. Some idiot that didn't know what, <laughs> didn't know how to do anything, decided that it would be a good idea that if you're looking at an application, but only if you're looking at an application, not if you're looking at your, your home screen or anything, there should be a, a white bar painted there. I can't get rid of it, and I'm told doing research on the internet. Now, if you're using something, you've got a problem, go look it up. Maybe you're not the only one with the problem. Maybe somebody more articulate than you has looked for the answer. And uh, I can't get rid of it. Other people say that there's a newer version of Android, which I can't get, which gets rid of that. So I might have to manually fiddle with that version, with, with updating, with flashing this thing for that. So, so I find this thing underutilized and the interface is not, still not good enough. Maybe one day. So I did, I have successfully obsoleted my old phone, which was an interesting experience. I ended up, I ended up looking at the list of applications on my old phone and one by one looking up in the, in the Play Store, uh, everything by hand and installing it all by hand. And I, because I didn't know enough about how the structure of the operating environment was to just copy and paste the files. And that's really something you wouldn't do normally anyway, because something's going to go wrong because there's different versions of Android. Right. So that's not something I was prepared to do. I wanted the fresh start anyway. And I discovered some stuff was no longer necessary on this new phone. And, and so this, this was an interesting experience. And then I bumped into one of the programs that I had installed because I was doing this in alphabetical order because that's what the list of programs was. And I when I got down to the T's, I found a program called Trebleshot. And uh, Trebleshot is a program that lets you beam files over to another phone. So you can actually set up, you can actually scan a QR code and it, you can set up a private hotspot and you can transfer files via Wi-Fi that way. 
So UAC, both phones will disconnect from their normal networks and one will hotspot and, and it will be a private key and the other one will know how to connect to that, that private Wi-Fi. And you can transfer files and you can also transfer installed applications, which is like, oh, well, this would have been handy because I just select all transfer. And uh, so I found that out a little bit late, but it turns out that that wouldn't have been a good idea anyway, because if you transfer a, an application that way, it transfers it as an APK, which is the package format for programs. And I don't think that that package knows about Google Play anymore. So you wouldn't be able to do the normal updating via, via Google Play, which, I mean, so that kind of sucks. So that technically wouldn't have been a good idea. But is, it is interesting because finding, like figuring out how to get that stuff, how to back that stuff up in case you don't have internet access and you need to get this to another phone. Um, doing being able to do this kind of stuff is it's kind of i don't know i like the idea of having the programs that i use actually downloaded locally it sounds weird um so so it, it does it seems it feels weird to me having a phone that is ludicrously powerful but i can't do a lot of stuff on it and it's because it's a software issue it's because People out there have not been tasked to at least emulate all the functionality of, let's say, a desktop. So I do, for example, want to be able to plug a keyboard and mouse into this. And I actually plugged in a Bluetooth mouse, plugged in, so to speak, air quotes. And uh, maybe I'll get a Bluetooth keyboard. Um, I got the Bluetooth mouse for a laptop because the laptop pad is, is obnoxious if you're trying to do certain stuff especially if you're trying to like using a laptop and using the skill set of a desktop user is annoying because reaching there for performing certain actions is actually not intuitive. And so getting a, getting a little, little mouse was actually a really, really nice idea. for me. Um, so I could do the, the same thing with the phone. So theoretically speaking, you know, I could turn the phone sideways and I can have a Bluetooth mouse and I, it, it's just, it's cooked in. The functionality is cooked right in. I get a mouse cursor. I don't have to install extra software. It just works. And I think I can do the same with a keyboard. With a mouse, I don't know how to do something as simple as switching applications. So I don't know how to swipe because I don't have that. I can't do that. I can't reach into the phone that way. Um, so if I, if I only cared about the one application, um, and I guess if I had a lot of mousing to do, which is basically not very many things, um, then the a Bluetooth mouse would be would be perfect for that. If I was writing or something like that, and I wanted to migrate my writing from a laptop to this phone, and I wanted to carry a like a Bluetooth battery operated um, keyboard, and I could do that, and I could just. And some of them have little ledges where you can put the phone down and stuff like that. I'm, maybe that's something I would want to pursue. And that way I can carry around this and, and I can actually just plunk down and write something when I've got something in mind. Maybe that's something I want to do because it's a lot better than having this weird hunt and peck thing. And uh, it's having this conversation with Minion. He's like, 
you ha you had to go out of your way to find a text editor? That's so weird. <laughs> he just pulls out his iPhone. Here it is. Just use something basic. That's the problem. I I didn't want just something basic. I needed to be able to open two text files at the same time. You can't do that. I don't need that. I do. I need to be be able to open an array of text files all simultaneously. Oh, because geez. because I happen to look at a notepad, a general notepad, and a grocery shopping list, and I want them next to one another, For or I want what? to be able to switch between them, so I can have more than one text like. I want to be able to read a, te a text file that's a book while swapping out and going do doing something else. I don't want to have to like close one and then open a new file. And what if they're in different directories? Like I don't want to have to. I just want to be able to to tab through them and make changes. And so I actually had to find. I found a program called Simple Notes, and the the S Simple Mobile Tools is the a category of stuff. This author has created a lot of stuff. I actually need to, to talk with him a little bit more because I, I ranted. <laughs> I complained at him and he actually responded to me. So I'm like, ah, oh. now I have the oh, response. Thank you. Does, or does, does the author hate you? Um, no, no, probably not. Because oh. when, when you make a piece of software and th this is one of the problems with software. So you would think... You would think that if it's your job to to do a thing, that you would have thicker skin, right? But that's like kind of saying that if if you're a, a like a cashier at Walmart, uh, that you should have thicker skin to people complaining about prices or something like that. It's like I know unfortunately of software projects where the author has just thrown their hands up. And said, "No, okay, I can't do this anymore. I'm stopping because of feedback, because of well, often because of dumb users. So that having the same problem over and over and over again, and they don't go look for their own answers, but they do take the time to complain. But that and that really bothers the developer. I cannot recall off the top of my head what project it was because maybe I should have taken a note, but I didn't. Um, but it was a software project where." The author ended their participation of the project. It was open source, so it was up for grabs theoretically to, to for somebody else. The project has gr had grown popular, and it grew it grew popular enough that, that the author and I had never considered this before. The author felt that he could not keep up with the demand for time on him, and it wasn't. Uh, so some authors, what they do is they say, um, I don't have the time for this project anymore because it's not making money and I need to spend my time on you know, X, Y, Z. I was in school when I had this, go, right? I have a family now, I give a new job and they're all good reasons. And so the author says, well, I can't spend time with this anymore. Um, I, I moved on to other things. There's all kinds of reasons. But this is the first time I've ever heard a developer say, I feel like I'm not able to uh, provide the level of service that this larger user base really deserves. And so he's like, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore because I feel bad about not being able to help everyone. And it's the strangest thing to hear. And 
And you think that a lot of developers, what they do is they just ignore a lot of that. <laughs> and they just get, they get down to the coding because that's what they're for. That's what they're there. That's their role. Um, and he, this guy, he was explaining that he was being pulled away from the actual programming and uh, doing a lot of the customer support type of stuff. And that was, that was uh, something he liked doing. That was rewarding. He liked working with people. He liked it. But it was pulling way too much time away from actual programming. And he started getting more like customer support type stuff than he could deal with. And it wasn't, he felt it was not fair to the people that the line was growing longer. And, and that's, that's wonderful and disheartening to hear. And he, what he was doing is he was citing, so Linux, Linux is named after, it's, it's mutated after a name of a software author by the name of, of we anglicize it as Linus, Linus Torvalds. Um, he is, I believe, a Finnish guy, so it's Linus, something like this. And so Linux is uh, derived from him, from his. Thankfully, it was derived from that, not a, not the original name that was going to be given it, which I can't remember. Um, and he, so he was the original developer of of a core piece of software, which is why this stuff is called Linux. Um, but it was a it was a tool that a whole lot of other software used to to make an actual environment with stuff that a that a person could write on for example so to, to write a text editor you need the text editing software but you need the the underlying stuff to make that it needs to know how to use a keyboard which means it needs to know how to use usb which means it and it needs to know how to use a screen but so the editor doesn't know that stuff it's lots of underlying technology and his was the root of everything so it all get na got named after him so he was doing a lot a lot a lot of programming way back in the day but his stuff got really popular like really pop like the internet runs on linux period um your phone runs off of bsd which is kind of a cousin to linux um but so there's a lot of shared technology there so that's something else and so there's a great argument for saying that a lot of the world is now being run by BSD. Fair enough. Um, and so he, his stuff was really urgently important. He ended up being moving from being a programmer to being a, an organizer. And programmer types are not necessarily very good at that. Uh, the really good successful projects it just happens to have people that are genius level quality programmers and they're social and organized like they're they're high functioning so they they're capable of all this stuff but he has moved over to management he actually stepped away from the entire project altogether because he's a multimillionaire why that like it was a hobby fun thing that became a job that and he became the center of too much drama so he just walked away and uh, so a lot of projects will will fail because the developers will get kind of overwhelmed uh, in one way or another. So at any rate, there's a lot of software things with Android that's really been been bothering me, continues to bother me, and I don't think there's going to be an improvement. And I don't know that want to do the work of putting Linux on this beast, <laughs> Just, even though I can. 
just because I've got a desktop at home. I may as well use these. I mean, I'm thinking of just emulating DOS on this thing and having Microsoft Works for DOS as my text editor and just using that and not dealing with a lot of this nonsense for apps, quote unquote app. Um, so uh, another thing that I learned about is profiles on Android 10. I don't know if it's unique to Android 10, if it's a new feature, but I have the ability to create an alternate profile on this thing. I know there's built-in technology for this. I'm pretty sure. So for example, I pull down my, my shade from the top of the screen and I actually have a little icon for a person and I actually just change users. I, that functionality first appeared when I was installing an app called Shelter. And Shelter lets me create a, it uses a work profile concept built into Android. And the there's a the work profile concept is one where technically speaking, let's say a business's um, IT staff would have management over this profile for all of the employees that have their phone. So what would happen is the employee maybe there's certain phone related stuff that applies to their work, but they would switch their phone to work mode to the work profile. And the two are separate and they can't see one another. And so when they're in their work profile, they might have access to a bunch of business specific stuff and it is separate from their regular life, so much so that one can't interfere with the other. So there might be security reasons for doing something like this. And because this stuff can be centrally managed, the IT staff can install applications and put them and, and project them out to all the different phones, for example. They can manage that profile for all the different people. So that technology exists and uh, Shelter leverages that to let you install applications and all this other stuff. I don't fully understand it. I might use that for myself so that I can like be in, be in author mode and have my my Twitter account and my Tumblr and my, right, my YouTube and stuff like that. And it, but it wouldn't be me, the person, it would be me, it, the business. So it, it would be me doing that stuff. And so I could actually, you know, press a button, switch modes, close on my other tasks and switch to this new mode where that's the mindset I have. And that's very much like having the beautiful room concept or having the specialized room concept where it, it's, it's wonderful if you can have a bedroom just for having a bed in, right? And then nothing else, but a lot of people have a desk in their bedroom. And so th that room becomes tasked for many different things. So one thing is if you're, if you're doing a certain thing, like if you're writing a book, you go and you pick up a lamp and you put it on your desk and you turn the light on. That's the only time you use that lamp and you only use it for when you're writing. And you, you make sure that everything is clean and you're in writer mode and you only do writer stuff. You make a new login on your desktop, for example, and that has all your book-related stuff and all your research notes and all and on and on and on. And that's a, that's a good way of doing things. It would be wonderful if you could walk to a different room and that room was the, the place where you did all that kind of stuff. Like the kitchen is the place where you cook obviously, because that's where the tools are. And maybe for some people, they, the dining room is where you eat. 
But for a lot of people, maybe it's the living room where you do that, but you start mixing and that room starts getting messy with different types of activities. So if you want to go to a certain space to do a certain thing, you have to declutter from some other topic that was there before. So you might have to go to your living room and clear up the movie night uh, remnants that might be cluttered through there because you didn't clean up after yourself because it was late, because you had friends over, because, because. Um, so just like having a profile on your desktop, having a profile on a phone might be an interesting opportunity for me to have. And like literally you have to reinstall all your applications. You do not have the other stuff. And they can't, the, the, if, you, if you install Facebook, Facebook and you switch work profiles, you have to install Facebook again. And that Facebook does not know about your other Facebook account, for example, or Twitter or whatever. And so that might actually be really useful for some people if you've got apps that remember their logins and you can just switch profiles. And now, now you're in, now I'd be in that account where I only haiku on Twitter, for example. Maybe I've got a different one where, where I act like, a, where I'm different, right? Where, where I'm doing book related stuff. Maybe, maybe, right? Okay, so. The other thing I wanted to talk about is this is a larger phone. This is physically a larger phone with a big, wonderful screen and no buttons at the bottom. So there's actually a lot of working space. And one of the nuisances is if you've got a non-standard phone with a non-standard shape, even considered non-standard from the other phones that are out there, good luck finding a case. Uh, possibly good luck finding a screen protector. So you've got different dimensions to work with. Uh, I ordered something. I happened to find something online. It's coming in with, I think it's in the same package as my new Bluetooth headphones. And uh, so that's a separate issue. So, and getting a case is, is, I don't know if I need something with a screen protector. I bought a case for my previous phone, wherever it is. And it's, uh, I ended up taking it off because it was too much bulk. And I didn't care. So putting it in my pocket, if you've got your keys up against your phone, okay, fine. It's going to scratch. Um, there are phones that have Gorilla Glass with a certain rating. Look up the rating of your glass. Try to understand it. And some of them are just keyproof. And But maybe the shell itself is not. So the, maybe the glass is more scratch-proof than the body of the phone, which is a little weird. In my particular case, I put my keys in one pocket and I put my wallet in the other pocket and I could put, the, I can sandwich the phone between my, myself and my wallet. And I put the screen um, cloth first in that pocket. So it's, so it's quite safe and I've got nothing else poking around. So even if I'm taking my, my wallet out, for example, um, it's, it's not getting scratched. At worst, it's getting buffed. And so that works out just fine. I'm more worried about accidentally pressing buttons because that was, <laughs> I actually destroyed a text file on my other phone. It really bothered me because I didn't have backups. And uh, because I bumped into it and turned it on and then my pocket rubbed against it the wrong way. And then, and then I looked at my desktop and then it opened the text file and then it mangled a bunch of text and then maybe I did the right thing or maybe it actually managed to save the file too. Just like an awful set of circumstances. This phone definitely won't do that because you have to press the button then swipe, which is probably not going to help. 
maybe I should put a lock on it. I'm, I'm not going to use the fingerprint reader because that's creepy. Uh, I'm not going to use the face unlock because that's creepy. Hey, it just turned itself on. Okay, I think I figured it out. Aha. Okay, so I, maybe I need to tweak that. So the phone has a way of automatically... Oh, now it's not doing... Okay, phone. Now, you know you're on camera. Well, you're not on camera. I have a camera there with a lens cap on. I will, I will threaten to film you. If I fiddle with it a certain way, it'll actually wake up again. So if it actually changes orientation, it's not shaking it. It's not orientation. It's ugh, whether or not I'm talking about it. I don't know. At any rate, so the size is a bit of an issue, but I also, I knew this, this was a concern. You know, the buyers regret, regret while it's coming in. And so I was doing more research just to allay those fears. And the other one was it's got a bigger battery, which means it's heavier. And it's much larger, which means it's going to be heavier, heavier, heavier. And so I was worried because some people were saying, it's a selling point for some reason to have a phone that's really light, really thin, really whatever, whatever. Um, and so this phone was none of that. And I, it took me days before I realized that, that I had forgotten that the weight might be concerned. It's, it's larger and it's heavier. And you know what? I've got man-sized hands, so it doesn't matter that it's big. There are phones that are bigger than this for some. I don't think they're making that kind anymore. And the weight is fine. Uh, it does trigger my magnetic field sensitivity. That's so slightly painful to hold. And it does get warm after a while. And I was kind of expecting those things because it's a supercomputer in here. Um, so it's a little aggravating, uh, but... And that's probably the biggest nuisance is maybe I'll keep the battery down below 80% or whatever. Oh, it's a 78 now. So, okay, well, I guess I can't get away from the pain of holding it. Um, it doesn't matter so much. So, so it's heavier, but it doesn't really matter because it's a, it's a toy of an object. I wonder if my wallet is heavier than it. Probably not. Um, the other is charging was rather weird. I don't know if I mentioned this before. I don't think I did, but I couldn't charge it with a cable. And I was looking around, I was trying different cables and different adapters and I used the official one. You know, I had to unwrap it and stuff like that, which I don't like doing. I just wanted to set it aside and not use it because I had that kind of stuff unwrapped and ready to go. And if you've got a, a low amperage charger and you're using a, a phone that is capable of higher amperage, it's, it's not a problem. It's a voltage that you need to match. But the amperage, um, the if you had a very high amperage adapter and a and a low requirement, um, then I think that's the situation where you're completely safe, because the amperage of your device is the amperage that it would like to draw, um, and if your uh, if your plug provides more than that, that's fine. It will it will take as much as it wants. Um, I'm not entirely sure if that's right anymore because I lost those research notes. My phone's got the reverse problem. The phone is capable of eight, 18 watts, which is kind of crazy. And the adapters that I've been using are like USB 2. So it's like 2.1 amps. So I'm not, I'm not sure how things map over properly. Um, at any rate, so I was using underpowered stuff. I figured, well, this thing doesn't work with those things. 
And I tried the official stuff and it wouldn't work, which is annoying. And, and I realized that that nothing was working. I had no actual way to charge this thing. And I still can't figure out why it's turning on when I'm fiddling with it. It's so not consistent, this action. Yeah, that's... Oh, I got to solve that problem. Um, at any rate, I learned that I had to reboot the thing to make it learn to make it recognize my my charging so i didn't have to plug the cable in and then reboot it i could reboot it and then now charging would work again and charging would work again unplugging and replugging and something was happening that would would remove the ability for it to charge and i don't know what that is yet and that could be a known problem from this version of this manufacturer's pseudo custom android so I need to check to see if there's a problem to be solved. But rebooting seems fine. I'm not this it's stupidly fast, so I don't particularly mind doing that. But I did have to do it, I think, uh, at least a few more times, two or three more times since first discovering this problem. So that is a rather unusual uh, problem. And it, it's weird. I don't actually mind when things. I like that. I like quirks with all my devices. It gives them some personality. Um, as long as it's not like damaging to my use, use of the thing, I really don't have to charge the thing. If I'm using it, 6150 milliamp hours. Really, that's going to last a while, considering how infrequently I use it. These days, it's been pretty hard to test it, to try a bunch of stuff. Um, probably the most intensive thing I was using is. Uh, a YouTube replacement slash supplement called SkyTube. And SkyTube, it doesn't use the standard YouTube-related tools. So it's not an app that asks YouTube to, for permission to do stuff, to get videos, to make requests, any of this. What it does is it pretends to be a person and actually physically goes to YouTube and scrapes information. And like, <laughs> it, it acts like a person. So... Um, and then it assembles everything itself without respecting YouTube's programmer side of stuff. It, it completely bypasses all of that, which I thought was a rather fascinating and incredibly stupid philosophy. But whatever, I was trying it. And it's got some interesting features because I can bookmark stuff. Pretty straightforward. And I can download with it and just keep things locally. And it puts it into, into a playlist. It's not a... It's not a good playlist. I like just having the titles uh, and being able to rename the files and stuff like that. So it just it gives the big thumbnails and they're interactive and stuff like that. And it's a really nice player. And that's the thing that has been the the most intensive like power user, let's say. And this phone's been going really, really strong, even if I'm using that for for hours. So I'm kind of happy with it. Um, so the other thing I want to talk about, so one of the reasons why I wanted NFC on a phone is because I bought something called a dimple and a dimple, what it is, is it's a, it's a sticker with a set of NFC buttons on it. And they're like little, um, like bad keyboards, bad keyboards have these little, uh, rubber or bubbles underneath the keys. And that's kind of what you'd be pressing to make a make a connection for each of the keys. 
And they're just, they're absolutely awful. We don't need to use the technology anymore because we've got cheap technology for, for a superior kind of keyboard. So that kind of thing isn't really around so much. But this, this is like a waterproof little NFC set of buttons. And I got a four piece. Um, and I got NFC and was hoping that I could get this thing working. Now, here's the problem. Do you hear that? <laughs> so one of the problems is clicking it doesn't always work, and sometimes clicking it works multiple times. Um, so, so this is where this is where my voice is coming from, and I'll move the phone to where my voice is. If I can make. Okay, so that's the volume I get. Now I can't turn that volume down. I can't change that. That's built into NFC. It's just built in. The only way I can make that not happen is to not press the buttons. Which, like, I wish somebody told me because I wouldn't have bought this product. I guess that's why they didn't tell me. And this is, this is cooked into Android. This cannot be changed. Now, some people are saying that, oh, if you root your phone and then you use this piece of software instead, and that piece of software listens to NFC instead of your, and on and I don't, I want to, I'm supposed to pretend to be a regular person here. So that's uh that was a frustrating discovery. So I have the sticker stuck to the back of my case. Oh, back of my phone that has these buttons, one of which is dead, <laughs> which was annoying. It acts like some other kind of NFC device when I use it, that some things can use. Because I'm technical. I actually looked into it and learned how NFC technology works and all this kind of crap. I don't fully understand it or anything, but an afternoon actually trying will get you pretty far. And so one of my buttons, I actually use a different program to notice when I'm pressing one of those buttons. So the test that I was just using uh, rotates my screen, which is really, really handy. And that's because otherwise I'd have to like slide down the menu, which doesn't always work if I'm using some full screen video player. And, and I'd have to press the thing. And that means that I would have to have the auto-rotate thing selected in, in that shortcut of, of uh, in my case, it allows, what, six buttons across? So I'd have to put it there, or I'd have to put it on the further drop-down screen of nine, or I'd have to swipe over and get it over there, like blah, blah, all these extra steps. But now I've got just got this button that I can reach for, and it'll let me do that quite easily. And it's quite handy. Wonderful. And the other I can... The other buttons I can, nope. God, what a pain. Just do it once. Um, and the others I can assign to applications or turning a flashlight on, whatever other nonsense. But it turns out it's not really useful at all. <laughs> so so I, I spent the extra money to get NFC. I didn't really need it. Uh, it's not really used for anything. Maybe I'll use it for Google Pay or something like that. I don't see why I would care. Um, so the other nuisance is, oh, we're running out of time. So we're going to take a break right now and we'll be back in another 10 minutes. I'm back. Righto. Okay. So, uh, I complained about, uh, about this big battery. The other thing I wanted to talk about is 
you know, charging this thing. Charging this thing was really funny because it can take 18 watts, but the charger that came with the thing can only do 12. So I have to go looking around to understand how chargers work and to see if I could or should, if I care, uh, to get a larger capable capability of charger. And the next step that I can get that gets past 12 are meant for laptops and specifically Apple stuff. Cause there are USB-C charging Apple laptops. And there are two classes of charger at that point. There are some that are 60 Watts and some that are a hundred. And as I understand, I could get one of the, one of those and use them as chargers. Now, the problem with that is I actually don't like unplugging and replugging stuff. I act, I got uh, adsorption um, charging cables, charging data cables from my old phone. And it gives me uh, actually two superpowers. So one is it's magnetic. I can just unplug it and replug it. It's really easy. I actually have a dock for my old phone if I really wanted to do that. But I've got cables and I can I can flip it one way and it'll just charge and it's connected to my computer. If I flip it the other way, it will charge and have data and it, it works great. My old phone works as a USB mass storage device, which means that it's like a USB stick, which is technically a bad idea. The new phone uses a uh, an obnoxious other method of doing things, which gives me, gives me some massive limitations on how I can access its data, but I can do that with the same method. The, the, I don't believe I have the option of charging without using data on this thing. At any rate, if I'm charging it out of my computer, then I, it, it will not charge if I'm using it. So its screen is actually, its internals use enough power that it overcomes the power being given by this weak USB cable. So I've got a separate cable that also that works as just pure charger from an actual separate outlet thing, um, as opposed to a computer. And it does; it'll do like full 2.1 amps. And uh, so that that was rather amusing to have a problem with. So, but it charges it charges overnight. So what do I care? It's fine. I've actually charged this thing up from. 60 to 100 overnight it's, it works so i don't know that i'll get a, a better adapter for it it is it is compelling to go and look through a lot of stuff to buy the latest and greatest adapter for everything to buy all the peripherals and you can spend as much money as that on that stuff as the original device it's like buying a car and saying well i need leather seats oh i need heated seats oh i need this that stuff adds up just ask somebody who's who's bought a house and now has to deal with furniture or has to do with rent, deal with renovations and landscaping and stuff like that. That stuff all gets really expensive. Um, okay, on to onto something else. Onto something else. Um, I, I we're gonna have administrative and stuff like that fairly late, but I want to just go quickly through a bunch of stuff that's on my mind. Um, I ran out of Pepsi and the store is selling. I have to go and look at that. Walking down to the store, right? And getting something there. And I did so. And I looked at the, and I looked at the cans and bottles and I looked at the prices. I'm like, 
no, no, I'll, uh, I'll just hold off and I'll buy in bulk, which is a really good thing to realize. Not, not wasting on buying a single one-off can. If you do that every single day, that's, that's a huge amount of money that you're wasting, like an actual significant amount. With that much money, you could probably buy twice as much if you bought in bulk. Um, but you have to actually do the work, which really isn't as much as you might think. And I learned that I can order, um, I think they're 24 packs. They might be small. There might be 12 packs on Amazon of all places. So I can just order the stuff online. I might do that. I might actually just, rather than going down to a supermarket, right? Um, I think we have to get used to that kind of nonsense. But I like the convenience of having stuff delivered, especially when it's the same price. So the other thing that I wanted to talk about is, um, so I have the new phone, which technically means I have new cameras with it. Now, not that I'd necessarily use its built-in microphone technology, uh, and I don't know how to hook up a regular microphone to it, and maybe I'll wait for, like, maybe I'll need to get some sort of wearable microphone. Maybe, 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 right? I don't know that I'll take anything seriously, but because I've got that stuff, I actually now have the ability to go and tour my backyard and go through the entire process of that, of trying to refurbish that space. Now, the one thing that I need to do to, to get rid of some of the junk that's in there, and then I can just show you the mode space, show you all the weeds and stuff, and then talk about it. And then it'll be like me explaining things is one of the ways that I learned. And because I am my own student when I'm learning stuff. So I'll learn stuff and I'll teach a version of myself. That's why I write a lot of documentation. That's why I've done teaching and stuff like that. It's, re it's a really good perspective for me. And so having the accountability of explaining things to other people actually holds me to, to continue to pursue that expertise, that action. And I don't, that's not true until there's an actual audience, which is the problem I get for a lot of stuff. So, so the backyard thing would be rather interesting. And one of the things I do need to get is I need to get screens. And I, I walked past a place that had, had this because they had dogs. And I, I know that because they had a history of it. Maybe they bring their dogs inside now or something like that. But because they've got a there's a walkway and so they have a fence it's normally a chain link fence so they put some barrier up for their own privacy but also for their their idiot dog that just barks at everything and i've seen that multiple places and it's it's a thing you got to do and i'm thinking of doing something like that just for for visuals because um chain link fences and stuff like that are are fine as barriers but if i want to actually create a peaceful space putting up like putting up walls is how you achieve that kind of thing. So I would do that and hedges would take years and would probably cost uh, plenty to get stuff brought in and for me to plant it and all figure out all that kind of stuff. I don't know that that's my thing. It does turn out that um, getting like a fountain is pretty cheap. So I, I'm wondering maybe, maybe I should do that because I can, I can put a splitter on the, the spout garden spout that's outside and i can run that to to a run that to a fountain but i can also run it to 
like there's a couple of versions of it. So if you've got an outdoor patio or you've got a gazebo or you've whatever, whatever, like you might have one of those gigantic umbrellas. You can actually wire in hoses attached to, let's say, the periphery, and they could have misters in there. And the misters will atomize water that you're pumping through there and just create the very most gentle mist. And that will really drastically change the temperature in that area. So as the as that water vapor is is affected by the heat, uh, it will change state from liquid that's being sprayed out with a lot of a lot of surface area in that mist from that into into gaseous form like right out as it does that it actually it requires heat to do that so it pulls heat out of the air around you this is one of the inexpensive ways for you to cool let's say a room you take a, a bed sheet and you wet it don't soak it so it's dripping but you wet it and maybe you have a spray bottle around and put it in your you hang it in your doorway you hang it in your doorway and you put a fan on that side blowing from uh, blowing from the outside even if it's hot air out there at the at that makeshift curtain into the room and it will very drastically cool the room it's much better than just having a fan a fan on your desk for example it's better than having a fan in your room by far so that that technology exists that evaporative cooling technology exists as air conditioning that you can install in the upstairs of a house and it can cool the entire house it is not as efficient as uh, like it is the appropriate way of doing the cooling under certain circumstances but not under all circumstances so depending on your region you might have never heard of that um so it's not particularly a canadian thing i had an american friend that's got his house and he, he just proclaims it as being awesome and it works well it it might make it must make some area wet somewhere, right? But with enough circulation venting to the outside, that moist air goes out. And the, but the effect of the cold air will, will pool down throughout the house. So however his house is arranged, he tells me it's in an attic. I think that's right. Um, so however it's arranged, it's effective. So there's an equivalent for doing that outside via a few mechanisms but ultimately they're tied to to water and shade so you can manufacture shade with with actual barriers that you put up on fences that are transparent now that's not effective because eventually the sun is going to arc overhead so it depends on where the shade comes from from your house so and it might not go far enough to be useful but there's going to be a space in a shadow or the heat shadow of a house where it's going to be really effective at moderating the temperature for a certain amount of time. And you can create some artificial shade via making your fences go from chain length to actual barriers. And if it's like a black barrier, that's going to absorb heat. And it's so you're going to get a different problem. But if you're out away from that and it's generating enough shade, that might be good. But fences are only so tall, so it's not so useful. So you'd have hedges, and hedges need to be tall to get that effect. Hedges are both shade and they take up water, so they're slightly moist. And that actually matters a little bit. And but that's 
you can also have umbrellas and you can have um like awnings and stuff like that would matter for the inside of houses and you need to look at this stuff it matters a whole heck of a lot and i was thinking about using this kind of evaporative cooling technology for my yard so it's not just about bad soil and weeds that i'm and, and just and these other limitations right i'm thinking about shade i'm thinking about temperature and so thinking about raised beds versus boxes versus right container growing if i want pretty things if i want edible things i'm, I'm actually wondering how seriously i should take um there are these like kits and there are also these suggestion pages for this is why i mentioned ideology when you're when you have certain ideology in your mind in your mind and you admit to it you can apply them to a whole bunch of different things so if for example i was a gaia worshiper and i cared about nature and i wanted to look at the gardening perspective from that i might think something like well it would be selfish for me to make certain things just to be pretty well what if if i wanted flowers are there certain flowers that are also useful in nature and you can get certain flowers and not just a single monocrop of flowers but a collection of flowers that are attractive to honeybees or are attractive to butterflies right and so your garden would actually form a an oasis between the different gardens possibly creating a kind of path that that would let these creatures actually migrate into your yard be at home there like you might actually plant stuff that would be attractive to hummingbirds and that would be awesome right and it could go from wherever the heck through the desert of all these other people's grass lawns to find you to to go off and find the next patch the next patch so you could be a an extremely important oasis in this chain of destination so if you had that in mind you could think of this space like that if you had a, a different mindset and you were thinking about um about food security you would think in terms of well i would dig out a pit and i would make this or i would have these right and, and that's how you would approach the problem if you wanted it to be a meditative space and but you understood like me i'm i'm fairly temperature sensitive i don't want to go out in sunlight it's you uh i would have like uh maybe if i wanted to start with 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 less cost i would get uh, a, a standing large umbrella and i would just literally myself would migrate under it depending on how it's casting shade and i would just use a whole bunch of dirt to keep it upright and then i would just unfold uh, unfold it or fold it i don't think i'd even take it inside i would just get something that was cheap enough that nobody would bother stealing it <laughs> we don't actually have like we don't have that problem in Canada. Um, maybe that's not so true in some places, but it's not not really a thing. Um, so uh, I might I kind of have that experience in mind where I want to create a space that's that's cool and calm and shaded, and I'm, I don't need to make it interesting. I don't necessarily need to make it all edible. That would be just really nice. I think that's a cool idea. I want to I want to not have a black thumb. 
I haven't talked about my onions in a while. They're doing great. Except for one batch I transplanted from water. I don't know if it's doing great or not. I found a deal on um, on, on plastic boxes. They have like like drainage holds and trays that come with it. And it's ten Canadian, ten dollars Canadian. And so I'm like, ah, oh, okay, I gotta get another. I just so every time I'm buying something on Amazon, I'll just throw another one of these things in. I'm just gonna keep doing that. And since I mean, ten dollars is it is money, but if you want to make sure you bump up the price to to in Canada, it's thirty five dollars is your minimum to get free shipping. If if you're only buying something that's X amount, you throw I just throw in something little like this. I actually have a listing of a save. Like you can add something to your cart and then save it for later. And I use that as a, as a means of having like an immediate checklist of stuff. And I put a whole bunch of like one and a half dollar items in there. Although it's like usually a minimum two, two item order and I have like uh, crackers or cookies or something. And it's like, uh, if I'm buying something, it's like $33. Yeah. I'll, I'll throw in a box of cookies. <laughs> just like, I'll just throw that in there. And you you might do the same with like pasta or with something, right? Do that, and that's that. Maybe that's a a better excuse uh, for you to to bump up that amount without necessarily wasting money, because it's something you wouldn't want anyways. And if you just buy a whole bunch of stuff in little bits over time, that's the equivalent of buying in bulk. And it's nickel and diming you, but it's it's doing so with. Um, greater food security in the future in mind. Um, okay, so I guess let's switch over to some administrivia stuff. So I guess the first thing that I want to complain about is, uh, Minion, you chew on your microphone, specifically every time you come back from break, uh, but often before you talk, you go and you reach for it and, and you chew on it before talking and the pops and crackles are obnoxious to to try to get out to clean out of the audio so you need a push to talk or push to mute set up through uh through discord in our case so that you can you can like you can push to to mute and then press the mute on your headphones like so because you touching the side of your headphones is probably making some of the noise, not just putting it on or moving the mic around. So something there has to be improved because it's such a pain in the butt. And I know it's happened at least a couple of times in this in this show. So I just need to mute myself before, or do the software yeah. mute and then the physical unmute. Do you normally have the, the microphone open always? If I sometimes <laughs> okay, so my recommendation is uh, is just using a push to talk, and as long as so I use the back key, the top left, and that seems to be out of the way enough. That's my recommendation, unless you want it on all the time or having a conversation. But so far, we haven't been. Your powers of explanation, I think we need to work. Your conversational skills. So that was one thing. The, the 
the other is did you look into the podcast the multicasting other service that did you make an account there did you research it so it's last time now okay so the idea is that you spend 15 minutes a day 15 whole minutes uh, doing something so during the show you you already take some notes and I actually use that. I leverage that to help me do editing and stuff like that. And you're mostly okay at uploading clips, which is, I don't know, we need to work on the workflow. I think I get burnt out after the show, so I often have a short day. So I don't get any of the, because it takes me a couple of hours, um, maybe more to go through and prep all the audio with all the clips and stuff like that. Um, so I don't often have it. I, I either won't have it the, like today, for example, I won't have all that work done today. And I probably won't have all that stuff done before tomorrow. So maybe that's something I should try getting it to you sooner um, so that your day after is easy, but your day after Fine, that's that's one of the chunks of time that you should spend. I, I, maybe it takes more than 15 minutes, right? But the day after and whenever. So in this particular case, there was three days where you had opportunities to do something, something. Um, and there should be an accomplishment for every single show so that we can have actual momentum towards something improved. And so it's one thing to spend so-called 80% of the time producing the show, doing all the necessary things to make it work. And it's another thing to spend a little bit of time outside that chunk of time as way, to discover the ways to optimize it. So I found the podcast, like I found lessons from people on how to podcast. And one of them was created by a guy who, who has a quite a successful podcast and he's got, I mean, he came with talent because he comes from TV and he went to podcasting, right? So so it's not like he's giving, he's teaching the silver bullet because he came with a lot of, yeah, he had advantages. So he probably can't convey all of those things. But so, I mean, I've got that and I've got bookmarks and I'm looking at uh, free to use or, or for pay video clip services, like stock photos, stock videos, all this kind of stuff. Because sooner or later, we're going to have to kind of step up and do more. So right now uh, on Twitch, uh, we're still set up in IRL. And is there a separate podcast channel that we should be in there, instead? There is, but I see the audience isn't just, doesn't seem as good. How do you know? Uh, I don't have Twitch pulled up right now, but... You mean based on population? It doesn't seem to matter right now. If you click on Browse itself, it'll tell you... And then if you go uh, search by and then type... Er, you click on Browse and then underneath um, there, there's the filter by you type in Podcasts. Okay. And why is that bad? No, it's not that. Um, actually, categories. I okay, need control so, F. 
yeah, let, let's be honest about it and call this a podcast. And then let's see if we can work on getting stuff started to be uploaded to iTunes. Okay. So we've got a couple of our test stuff, which, which shouldn't see the light of day, which I'll make a point of looking at and comparing to the YouTube channel. I'll pull them into archives. Then you, you would have to go through and upload slash queue all the previous podcasts. We need this stuff out there because there's going to be what's called organic or organic discovery where people will go to iTunes or wherever their favorite places, which is the thing you want to multicast out to a whole bunch of different services to, to catch the, to throw the widest net for the largest number of fish. So you want this out as podcasting services. Um, and so all of our previous content, which is not an insignificant amount. What is this like show number 12 or something? I don't I think want to officially, look. I really don't like, want to look. Well, whatever, like nine. So how many hours is that, right? That's that much, That that's that volume of opportunity that should be placed where it could be discovered. And so it's a problem when you're declining pursuing the opportunity everybody else takes right you can't just shout into the void and expect anything so the fact that we're using twitch might be something that we completely obsolete we might just record this locally and prep it like a proper podcast and the live experience from any of this could be i mean twitch might be something for some future patron thing the live experience um, it might be that we'd have a Discord channel and people would talk to us through that and the Discord would be us in Discord talking with nobody else having permission to talk. People that just, could just be there and that could be the live experience, but everything gets podcasted after the fact. I mean, that could be the way we do things because Twitch may not be appropriate at all for anything. Oh, on that note, did, you, did we talk about this? Did you know Mixer is gone? Microsoft gave up. They merged with Facebook. Did they? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people are jumping ship still. Good. (laughs) Facebook. Facebook is evil. I've heard so many bad things about Facebook. I can't understand most social media because I don't like people. So I don't don't interact with humans online. It's just not really my thing. Um, I'll I'll kind of deal with it in, in video games in a limited sense. But only on, in the guild concept or the friends concept where I can curate who I'm associated with. I did have to uh, exit a Facebook group because somebody popped who was not appropriate for my state of mind. So I, so I just went, ah, whatever. I wasn't, this, this place is not important and left. It's like, I don't need to raise a fuss about anything. <laughs> I'm adult enough just to walk away. It's really easy online, guys. Really easy. It's even easier than in the real world where this also wouldn't matter. Um, at any rate, so the 15 minutes a day idea is important and we need to have momentum. Otherwise, nothing will happen. This will, be, this will have been a complete waste of time unless these things are pursued. And until, and you don't even have to do more than just the basic work and then just a little nudge every once in a while until it is discovered that one of these things is important and then you just focus some of your 80 percent will be focused on 
the thing that pays off, good return on investment for that. And then 20% time becomes whatever other little things. Like maybe if you discover that for some reason, TikTok is really important. <laughs> we need to make one minute ad clips to get people from there to a podcast. And like, okay, I guess figure that nonsense out. I wouldn't spend a lot of time on that. And if we discover that we need to have blog posts associated with every episode and, and we need to like have an article for, for like several articles per show or something, like if that is discovered somehow, okay, awesome. But you need to actually, you would need to actually have an account on iTunes. You need to have an account like on SoundCloud maybe or on wherever. Maybe we need a Facebook account. Maybe we need, like, maybe, maybe, maybe. But you start by just setting up the accounts with part of the 15 minutes or whatever, part of the 20% time. And may, that will become more than 15 minutes. You know that. Like, if you have other things to do, then okay, you can justify it. But, but this has to take a chunk of the time. And that should be the same time every day so that you can actually have some reliability in your life to actually accomplish anything. Um, so anyhow, moving right along. The, the other thing is, so I've been sorting my thoughts into multiple segments to try to start having the three segments be distinct from one another and be predictable from show to show. And it's, it's not there yet, but hoping it will be. And so moving the administrative stuff like this out into the third segment seems like a good idea so far. It seems to be working out. It'll probably be a shorter and shorter sub-segment. Um, I'm hoping to keep it under like 15 minutes or whatever the heck, unless there's discussion, which of course, I mean, having no audience means that I'm, I'm shouting at clouds. So I, who knows how things would expand based on audience interaction. So the, the last thing that I have noted here before we ramble on or whatever is you have a habit of, let's say there's a problem with Discord, of interrupting me mid-word to say something as opposed to waiting for the end of a sentence. And editing-wise, that, that stepping on the middle of sentences Especially in weird, there are weird circumstances where you're like, you sound like a robot or whatever the heck, or you're cutting out or whatever. Discord automatically catches up. It, it might pitch shift it, but when you talk in the middle of the words, like I can't salvage any of that. It just becomes this gobbledygook with these weird interruptions. And it, it's hard for me to try to clean that up. So this was that um, one time or every time you listen to this? Every time you talk, when you're interrupting mid-sentence, it, it's hard for me to, like, if it's not topical, then it's just awful, because half the time I have to yank your voice out somehow and try to recover what's actually there. So I, I don't know if I'm explaining it very well, but the general notion is even if you think that I can't be heard by anybody, wait until wait into like wait a moment or something um often so the 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 example is the discord discord dropping out or discord 
quality changes or whatever the heck, like say nothing and until it cleans up, until you find, until it cleans up and you're in the middle of sentence, then no, and you're between sentences, then say something, then I can repeat something or then whatever, because I can probably salvage a lot of weirdness from Discord because uh, Discord's really good about like getting missing chunks of data out and and pushing so if it if it cuts out for a piece it'll actually and, and i keep talking even though i don't know and discord will still capture all that on my end and we'll just compress it through in a shorter sp uh, span of time once it figures itself out but if you were talking in the middle of that i can't salvage that tiny compressed clip out so it's really really yeah that stuff so um, I mean, I could talk about Disney right now. Maybe that's what I'll end with. So when I think about Disney, I think about copyright problems because they are jerks. They're absolute jerks about it. They're legendary. They're so legendary that in the United States, they're one of the, the uh, what are we, mega corporations that people think about when they're thinking about copyright as though they actually had their hands in the manipulation of how copyright itself works, which I, I would not, I, I, I entertain that because there's something called that it's, it's nicknamed the Sonny Bono copyright act, but it's I, a lot of people called it the Mickey mouse copyright act because it just so happened to come out to extend the, the ownership of the Mickey mouse brand. Um, so, you know, just for some reason, wink, 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 Disney incredibly profited based on this. So I always think of them in terms of being, being corrupt and caring about copyright. And so, um, there was this clip and it was like, I think it was MIT students, something like that is in one of the higher end. I think it was in a, an American university. What they did is they made a clip show. Disney movies talking about copyright and what what the video itself was like the technique of it and its content was explaining why it is okay to have clips of copyrighted material and exactly what was going on how copyrighted material works at least in the United States and I believe the copyright of the United States would apply to American copyrighted material if used elsewhere. I'm not entirely sure how that works. There's some really wacky exceptions with respect to things like patent, but copyright is, um, so as Canadians, we would be probably be subject to American copyright law if working with American copyrighted material plus local laws plus um, any kind of rules for the platform and stuff like that so it's always more complicated but this video this compilation um, was like little clips in order to piece together sentences from all these different classic disney movies and it's quite old it's it's really low quality compared to everything nowadays and i've always wondered how much work it would be for me to make an hd version of this like it would probably be a nightmare um, i'd have to use uh 
I have to scrub through everything and use uh, like searches to find the right word or phrase for like I'd look through subtitles. And so theoretically, it's not awful, awful, but it would be a pain. It, it would be really awesome, though. And I'd probably get hit by stuff because I'm not a, a student at a prestigious university. And because it's higher quality, and they probably make that an excuse. But so when I think about Disney, I think about all this. And literally just before the show, I, I had been... I will look through dumb YouTube recommendations. I won't look through anything news related or politics related, nothing social. But if it's like, if I'm bumping around thing A and for some reason I get some weird, interesting thing that has nothing to do with what I'm looking at at, the, at that time, it's like how to build a deck. And I'm looking at gardening. I'm like, oh, if I'm interested in that, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go pursue it. In this particular case, it was a comparison of the singers for Disney princesses between English and Finnish. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm, I'm like, okay, I have to look at that. I just have to for all kinds of reasons. And, and so I, I didn't finish it because the show started, but, but it's, it's really, really well presented, high quality, good clips. They're longer than four seconds of audio, but it's not full songs or anything. Okay. So, so Disney movies have singing in them. And so this was a comparison of the certain songs as created originally and as dubbed like 60 years later or whatever the heck in Finland when this stuff came out there. And so this, this video creator did did a really, really nice presentation of before and after, and there were graphics and there was all this kind of stuff. It was really, really well done. And it was, you know, paragraph length explanation of, of why the opinion, like what the winner was for each of the songs, for each of the clips. And it was, it's meant to apply to the entirety of the movie. So it's like picking this clip out of the movie Aladdin and it's this particular song, but it's that singer for that character for the entirety of the movie. Like, what is the best language with that singer? And the names of the singers were actually listed. And it was, it's really wonderful to, to, that's a totally useless video. Like, I could live life and not have seen that video, and maybe I'd be better off. But you could, you could think of life as being, well, maybe, um, maybe all of life is about learning and progress towards your goals and, and this kind of stuff. But, but that's not, you, there needs to be some concept of rest so you can be better suited the next time you tackle something that actually matters in the world. But also, you never know when something random that you bump into might improve your, improve something about you. It might be peripherally interesting for something you are working on. You never know. Um, or it might just be like, you can't know how the experiences in your life will change you or would influence the future of your life. And so the fact that I saw this weird, this weird clip, this clip show of music, 
of something that I like. I haven't even seen, um, I don't think, any except the ancient Disney movies. And so it's like, technically there were spoilers. I wasn't really paying attention to the songs or anything like that. So like, yeah, right. And if I cared, I probably shouldn't have watched this, but I did. And maybe this will matter to me for some reason in the future, right? Like maybe, maybe I'll just remember that this idea exists. And like 10 years from now, I'll meet, you know, somebody with a daughter that, that has this Disney thing. Cause they're at that age. And they'll be like, oh, I bet it would be really cool if I went and found this. Like, and it's maybe it's a genre of videos, and maybe that genre played itself out years before, before that point. But I but I remembered it. And maybe that's that's a new thing that I have in me that I could share because I became interested in in participating in that youthful experience. Now that was use that's useless to me right now, but I can't know how going forward, what I experience now, I, I don't know how these things will play out in the future. So sometimes I like to, when I'm researching one thing, for example, and because I, I want to know that thing, maybe, maybe I want to understand the flammability of alcohol while I'm looking up how to mix a drink. It, it's kind of related. It's kind of cool. Maybe it's it's some bar trivia that I could you know break out and be like you know you can't you can't set gasoline on fire with a match like you can drop a lit match into gasoline and that's that's not going to light on a fire like I don't know if that's actually true because there's actually MythBuster related stuff on the actual show MythBusters I think did an episode with that in mind like, under what circumstances how does gasoline and and you learn something like that. And that has nothing to do with, with picking your five bottle bar. It has nothing to do with mixing drinks. That has like, and yet it's kind of interesting and it's kind of related, kind of, kind of. That's why stuff like that gets recommended. But there's some stuff that's way out of there that's, that you wouldn't go out of your way to look for. It's just you kind of happen to bump into it. And it's getting harder and harder because... Uh, the recommendations concept is is massaged and it's often massaged to uh, optimize for advertising so if you will be um so the service that you're using will give you recommendations that keep you in a bubble with what you're watching because it will make the assumption that it should give you suggestions that you will watch it doesn't understand the concept of you wandering because the people that make these things don't understand that. And so it gets harder and harder for you to go exploring and just get lost and try and look at new stuff because you get presented by stuff that the, the engine thinks you're going to want to watch more of the same. And, and that's true. That's true. And that's very alluring. And so a lot of people that will be fine for them, but they don't know what they're missing. And so it ends up having to be, you kind of wander around and maybe your imagination helps take you somewhere and you search for that stuff. At some point, it's going to become a problem and people are going to have to have the skill of using their imagination in that way. Or you're going to have to listen to these videos and notice those moments where they're mentioned something, something interesting 
that the video is not about that thing, but they mention something. Maybe they wait until the end to do recommendations or they, they wonder something aloud in the video. And that's, that's when you go, okay, well, that's something interesting and different for me to research. So you go through that, that lecture series, you get burnt out, but they mentioned something weird. You can go and look that up instead. Like stop, stop wasting your time learning the things that you don't want to learn. Like know when, know when to quit and know when to give up and then go pursue something else. You're not going to run out of new stuff to go and look into. And maybe, maybe you'll learn better about yourself. Maybe it'll change and you'll go back to like a lot of information isn't really going anywhere. Um, and so you'll, you'll come back, you'll be able to come back to it, take a second pass, a third pass later in your life. It's not going to be a particularly big deal. Um, not for like everyday stuff, like building a deck's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, it might become an expensive endeavor in the future if, if we're no longer allowed to to uh, chop down wood or something like that because of some ideological constraint at the government level. Like, but if you become interested in twenty years, like you can still go back and you can look at this stuff. That's and it's not going to be purged. It's not going to be memory hold, anything like that. Like a lot of these basic things, just it's like how to garden is not going anywhere, not anytime soon. So that stuff you can set aside and come back to. Um, like me learning about Disney princesses is probably not going anywhere anytime soon. I can just be like, nah. I could give up now and not watch the rest of this video, kind of have a flag in my head, a piece of trivia. It's useless. And just be like, Finnish is a really nice language when it's sung contemporarily. Like, oh, I already knew that. And, but maybe, you know, I kind of want to see these movies, but have them dubbed in another language and read the subtitles. Maybe that's the excuse I'll have for myself for watching this kid stuff. Because, like, I know this Disney stuff went all kind of crap a lot of because I've, I've I'm still reading them, but I have the the mythology that Disney draws from, so I know a lot of the the ancient religions, the Roman stuff that they they draw some things from, but I know a lot of the fairy tales that. Like they're not original, and so it, it's kind of interesting, author-wise, to see contemporary popularity with some of the older stuff. It's so I have, I have valid reasons. I have manly man reasons to watch musicals <laughs> meant for children. Okay, but I can also have this other thing in mind where I can put a twist on it and just be like, eh, it'd be kind of cool if I listened to this in this other language. You know, maybe I wanted to learn that language. I don't know. I could probably do it. I I don't know that I would do it in Swedish, but other languages that I might be interested in at the time. It might be a really, really strange way to like have a binge session through like through Disney movies. <laughs> How many hours worth would it be to binge through? And imagine doing that for multiple languages. If I had a kid that was really highly interested in Disney movies, I might try to pull this. Be like, you know, you can watch this movie a second time, but, but you got to watch it dubbed into another language. <laughs> and I'll have the subtitles up and everything. You know, kids, kids will memorize everything so that they can sing along and just just but give them it in another language. Maybe they can learn better, faster reading skills, but maybe they'll really, really enjoy it. <laughs> that would be the stuff that you could do now that you could not do like when 
when the movies were out on VHS. You, that, that was it. You're not getting it dubbed. Um, you didn't have special features. It, you had nothing extra. So kids would just watch the same thing over and over and over. Um, at any rate, we're coming to a close. This is episode number I don't know. Um, we sh we need to open with episode numbers and maybe have infographics and stuff. And <laughs> follow for follow. No, that doesn't do anything. S silly person in chat. That was a while ago. You finally noticed. Well, I don't notice any of these things. You notice everything else before I do. I'm I'm actually looking at my notes. Oh. And half the time, my my I'm wandering. I'm like, I wonder if anybody's in here, but I don't see the the little person change or anything like. That. So, I think one of our goals is going to be for next time. I'll make this. Well, okay, I'll I'll do it. I guess because you're lazy is to have episode numbers. And what we'll do is we'll have the number, like episode number X, and we'll we'll figure that stuff out. So next time we can say the date and the episode number. So we can actually, you know, be slightly less unprofessional. We'll get there little by little. And maybe do iTunes. One episode, something of uploads, just to understand the process. So we've got stuff to look forward to, to improve for next time so we're done we're going to be back on wednesday we're going to have clips up on our youtube channel normally we would have like an end card or somewhere maybe during every break with all the, the details we'll work on that one day soon as well so next time we're going to be uh out of irl into podcasting channel instead i think that'll be the one thing so we're done so i'll be back on wednesday thank you everybody okay